Major Lindsay in Africa presents Erasing the Stigma, conversations about mental health in the legal profession. Welcome to Erasing the Stigma, conversations about mental health in the legal profession. I'm Mark Yacono, your host. I'm a managing director with Major Lindsay in Africa's Transform Advisory Services Group. This podcast covers a variety of topics related to mental health in the legal profession. We strive to have clinicians, commentators, advocates, and people who are committed to the cause of improving the mental health of our profession on. And today we have a very special guest, Gina Passarella, who is the editor-in-chief of The American Lawyer and has been a very strong advocate, especially over the past year, of mental health issues in our profession. Gina, would you care to introduce yourself? Although you don't require any because you're Gina Pasparella. Oh, you are way too sweet. No, thank you so much for having me and for for doing this podcast at all. I mean, this this is just such a great service that you provide to the community. So thank you for that. And it's my pleasure and honor to to be a part of it. Um, Yeah, so I I am the um, editor-in-chief of the Global Legal Brands at ALM. So I focus on the business of law, in-house counsel, um, global um, legal issues across a variety of of topics. And we worked last year on a year-long project examining mental health in the legal profession because it was very clear that it was a, a big issue and problem for this industry specifically. And we wanted to dive into why that was, what could be done to help improve it. And really as a media company, the goal was to give a platform to discuss these issues because stigma is such a, a big part of particularly why the legal industry struggles with it that we thought as a media company, what we can do is, is raise awareness. And, and so it's been a fascinating year and, and we've certainly learned a lot. So 2019, I think in February is when you started Mind Over Matters, if, if um, my memory is correct. And what was, was there one uh, particular triggering event? Was it the Hazelton study or what or was it one triggering event that led you to give this acute focus to such an important issue? Yeah, so it was a few things that kind of combined together, but I think it probably really started back the year prior in November or October when, when um, Joanna Litt wrote the incredibly poignant letter, open letter to the profession, Big Law Killed My Husband, about the, the suicide um, of, of her husband, Gabe McConnell. And it just, it, that resonated with our audience, blew us away. I mean, it was just so clear that that was something that people were were interested in and related to. We heard so much from folks in the audience about, yes, I've dealt with these struggles too. And it was really eye-opening for us as a newsroom. And then we continued to see, frankly, unfortunate news of, of suicides of prominent members of the community. And, and then we also heard from folks saying, you know, I want to write about my story too, because when I was struggling with this even a year ago, there was nowhere for me to turn. I didn't see anybody else writing about this or anybody feeling like they could they could speak on these issues in the profession. And, and so for us, we wanted to give a platform where people did feel like there was a safe space for this and to kind of make the profession wake up to know that that they other people have to give that safe space too. And it needs to be really a, a, a group effort here in, in, in tackling this challenge. I think Joanna Litt's letter was particularly uh, poignant, but it also told the untold story, which is that 
happiness sometimes is a veneer and underneath the veneer lurks a lot of unease and a lot of hopelessness about how to dig your way out of bad feelings. For myself, as someone who's grappled with mental um, illness for more than 20 years, had the benefit of insurance and had the benefit of clinicians and still struggled to get the right treatment modalities and to find the right providers, the one thing that I really, really was excited about when ALM dug into this topic is maybe it would help people find pathways to resources. Because even when you have access to resources, it's still a trial and error uh, exercise. That's such a good point. And I, I, I think that you're right on its own, regardless of what profession you're in, that that is a difficult thing to one, recognize and admit that maybe it is a good thing to seek out resources and then, oh my goodness, where do I start? That's kind of a whole separate, you know, overwhelming process in and of itself for, for many people. And I think to your point about kind of the, the veneer, that's so true because one thing we've heard over and over again throughout this year long process is people think that they're the only ones in their firms dealing with this. Everybody else looks like they love life in big law. They're doing great. They thrive. Yeah. And I'm the only one sitting in my office crying at night. But in, in reality, there are so many people. I mean, 74% of the survey respondents in a survey that we did on this said that the profession negatively impacted their mental health. And 41% said that mental health is at a crisis level in the industry. I mean, there are- And that's a striking set of metrics. Yeah, yeah. I that mean, that's the majority of, of the survey respondents feel their profession what they do every day is, is negatively impacting their mental health. Right. And I think almost 20%, 17.6% have contemplated suicide, if I remember. Yeah, it was nearly 18%. And that, that statistic in particular really just kind of hit me because, you know, you, you hope to, to do good with these types of projects. And, and I, I wasn't naive enough to think that we would solve even any of the problems in a couple months time, but but when you, at the end of, toward the end of this year long project, when we did this survey and we got 3,800 responses from professionals across law firms around the world, and you see some of those really high numbers, 18% almost contemplating suicide, it just, it breaks your heart. And the one silver lining to this that, that in talking to folks for, for writing about this survey is that these numbers are probably more accurately reflecting what has been going on. And maybe that shows that people are more willing, even in an anonymous survey, to admit to how they're feeling. And so maybe there is movement in destigmatizing and opening up the, the Florida conversation. Well, one thing I think has been really fascinating to watch, and I think it is reflective of, of, of the point you just made, is that more and more state bar associations are removing the mental health question from the application for admission to the bar. Um, right. which, which, you know, frankly put a lot of young entrants to the profession in a very, very critical and, and, and delicate spot. Do they disclose it and potentially jeopardize their admission? Do they not disclose it and potentially jeopardize their, their future status? 
And I think that that is a direct result of the focus that's been given to mental health issues that state bars are beginning to realize just because you grapple with a mental illness doesn't have any bearing on whether you're capable of rendering great service to your client. But it might have an enormous bearing on whether or not you're, you're, you're comfortable getting treatment or dealing with your problems. Well, well, that's exactly it. I mean, there are so many on the journey through a legal career that really have caused people to not want to admit that they have a problem and not seek treatment because they're so fearful that it would negatively impact their career. And talk about, I mean, that's right at the start, right at the start. I'm kind of taught or realized that I need to just completely hide the fact that I'm dealing with this and, and just suck it up and, and get over it. And, and that's not sustainable for the profession. So it was, it's been very heartening to see a lot of the movement across many state bar organizations and a lot of people have worked very hard um, in individual states to make that happen. I don't, you probably don't remember because I'm not famous and you are. Um, I had a brief <laughs> encounter with you. I'm a little starstruck, I'll admit. Oh, goodness. Brief, Please don't be. <laughs> I had a little a brief discussion with you after you did a, a, a panel with Ralph Baxter at Legal Tech. Mm -hmm. And one thing you told me was, I think the Lawyers Assistance Program in New York City had seen a, a fairly significant increase in lawyers um, using it, or, or, or at least oh. inquiring. Is that a trend you've seen across... Uh, states or across um, jurisdictions that more lawyers are actually reaching out to these state lawyer assistance programs? I, I don't know that I've done enough research across all of the states to say for sure that that's happening, but my sense is that there is an increase more broadly across the profession in several different ways that people could reach out. For example, I've been talking to some of our wonderful advisory board members on the Mental Health Advisory Board about what they're seeing in the market right now in the time of COVID or asking, you know, are, are people, are firms retrenching in their, in their programs because you know, it's just, there's so much else going on and it costs money to do this sometimes. And I'm largely hearing that no, they're not. And that many are bringing in folks to talk to their attorneys about these issues and more people are calling into those calls than ever did before COVID. So there's, there is a, a growing acceptance to discuss this issue and a growing willingness to participate in those conversations is my sense. I've had the same sense as I've reached out to and, and even brought some guests on that, that lead wellness or mental health programs within firms is that they have not backed off, but they've actually provided additional levels of support and, you know, are, are experimenting with, you know, e-mental health initiatives, which is, um, which is new ground. It's new ground. Um, yeah. There's an organization in British Columbia called Heads Up Guys. It's run by the head of clinical psychology at at the University of British Columbia, which is one of the largest psychology training programs in the country, they created a mental health component for men because men are, are, are particularly adverse. And they, they, they suffer more than others from the lack of understanding that, that mental illness is a, normal, is a normal thing for a lot of people. And I think what we're seeing in the profession is that as they prove people can work from home, and deliver client service from home, they're realizing they can also provide this, this, this emotional support. But you mentioned the COVID and, and we all know that 
thousands and thousands of lawyers were deployed to their barracks um, right. on a dime and firms virtualized on a dime. Have you heard any um, conversation around how what I would call sort of the, the immediate post-COVID sensitivity of firm leaders to the plight of lawyers who are struggling to work amongst the family has, um, has, has, has matured as firms have sought to salvage their years and get back to business and, and um, sort of the COVID displacement has normalized. Have you seen any, have you had any feedback on whether that, that initial benevolence is continuing? <laughs> yes, I have talked to some folks about this. So, I mean, I, I think you're right that in the middle of, at the beginning of the, the a global health pandemic, I mean, everybody was just very concerned for everybody's well-being, physical and mental. And it was very top of mind to stay connected. And many people actually felt more connected, doing more calls, calls with people you wouldn't otherwise. Um, very understanding of the fact that we're working from home with kids in the Zoom call. I'm frankly, is shocked that mine haven't jumped onto this yet. Uh, but you know, it, it's it, it 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 butts up against the fact that we're also now in an economic crisis, not just a health crisis, and firms are struggling to bill hours and and meet demand. And I have heard some younger attorneys say, you know, that the warm and fuzzy has rubbed off. Um, that we're back to to business. Yes, we understand you need to do what you have to do, but make sure you bill hours. We're not reducing your billable hour targets because you're working from home with kids. You know, we're, we need to get every dime in the door we possibly can. And so there is definitely a lot of pressure there. And I have heard also a sense from um, those younger attorneys who do have kids versus those who don't and, and the ones with kids feeling like maybe I'm at a disadvantage. My hours might not be where they need to be because I do have these other responsibilities. And this is dragging on longer than I think many people maybe anticipated. And so that's going to continue um, as, as firms struggle with, with demand issues to kind of butt up against one another. Yeah, and it's the battle of what I call abstract rationality and practical rationality. Because mm -hmm. it's fully rational to expect firms to want to get back to billing levels to generate income. But it's completely irrational to think that people can do everything that they do and they can go to the office, be away from their families, be with, not have to deal with any distractions at home and be just as productive and sleep and do the things that keep you mentally well. So there's pragmatic reality and there's abstract rationality. And I, and I, I, I worry about particularly um, the already compelling diversity issues that we have in law. Because from my own experience with, with, with both some colleagues and, and, and um, I'm fortunate my kids are in their 20s, but we have friends who have younger kids that, you know, it, it's just sort of an accepted fact that um, the mom does more, um, is more engaged, usually is better at math and, and homeschooling. <laughs> and the enormous stress that is on them to run summer camp, manage your husband, who's often a big child. And <laughs> you said it, not me. I know, but it's true. Um, it's true. And, and to do their work and, and that this will have some really deep systemic effects, not only on the mental health of the profession, but, but on, on, on diversity. So 
because the strain that's being put on these lawyers, I feel, is going to become increasingly more more intense and, and more detrimental to their well-being. Right. No, I mean, it's, it's such a, a difficult issue. And, and we've heard it all over the spectrum. I mean, there, there are different scenarios in, in every household. And I have heard, you know, there have been reports even in the general press about women particularly having to step back from their careers during this time and make the decision that they need to stay at home and either homeschool or, or just be there with their children. And so I'm sure that we'll see some of that. I've also heard, to, to my point earlier, that there's been more efforts at connecting uh, with, with different and more people. There are more opportunities to have calls with people in your organization that you otherwise wouldn't. Um, and, and to really get to know people a bit better. I do think that one thing out of this has been that while we're all a bit isolated, we're coming together on these calls and connecting, we're bringing really our full selves because we don't have a choice. You know, I'm seeing what the back of your office looks like when we're talking and what, what your interests are. Um, and I'm, I'm seeing your family come into the call and, and, and hearing your dog bark and I know you a bit better. And so there's that element that, that I do think is happening, but it is, it's a struggle and it's something that we're actually writing about right now for an upcoming issue looking at talent development is how do you ensure talent development in a remote work environment? Um, yeah, and I think that's- How do you ensure that, that, that they're equal, you know, for those who are home versus those who do end up going back to the office, is there a, you know, a, a kind of a caste system? Well, and that's a compelling issue that impacts on a number of issues from mental health to self-esteem to, um, you know, um, um, your professional goals is how do you have a development path virtually? And the fact is that some people are not going to be able to go back to the office if their kids can't go back to school and if their caregivers' kids can't go back to school. Um, so, so it is an issue, I think, that is going to not only, you know, need to be acutely focused on, but I think there are going to be psychological ramifications to dealing with that because people who can't go back to work or could potentially feel left out. People who can't go back to work could potentially feel even more isolated as others are physically together. And so it'll be, it'll be really interesting to see how, how, how your, your work and research and, and journalism on that shakes out. A question I wanted to ask is, you know, we had the year long um, focus on mind over matters. Um, that year is up. What is, um, what is your, what were your key takeaways and what is your plan going forward? Because I know this wasn't meant to be a one and done or a sort of black box experiment. No, absolutely not. I mean, it's, it will 100% be an issue that we continue to cover across the industry. It's not just even about law firms, certainly. It's the in-house community, the judiciary, public interest, government lawyers. How are, how's any sector of the, the profession being impacted. So we will continue to cover that um, as, as stories arise and as we look into various issues and check back in on firms. I can see us continuing surveys and, and tracking progression, certainly. Um, but in terms of the biggest takeaways, and it's funny, you know, I guess at the beginning when we did some reporting to launch the series and at the end, the issues weren't dramatically different, right? And I think they, they still remain. I mean, isolation, exhaustion, and kind of a lack of the ability to untether from, from your work are, are some key themes that drive a lot of the struggles that members of this profession face. And 
And at the end, when we did our survey and we looked at the open-ended responses that folks gave as to, well, what would you, what needs to change about the profession to make this more tenable for you? You know, I know it's not a popular thing to say because it just has become so, so trite, but I can't tell you of 1,500 responses, how many, almost all, had the billable hour as a problem in the, in the response. I mean, it, it, to, to put it just more broadly, it, it's, there are elements of the business model, particularly of big law, that make this a very difficult problem to solve for this industry. I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer or say that it can't be solved or that people can't find a balance or that, you know, hey, maybe this just isn't the profession for some people and you know what you're signing up for. I've heard that argument. But, you know, you can't look at the numbers that we see and say, okay, this isn't our problem. You just have to be tough enough to, to work in this environment. There needs to be things that organizations do that mitigate some of these stressors and recognize that it's not sustainable. For, for an industry where talent is your biggest asset, you, they have to figure out a better way to, to make this a sustainable profession for, for more people. And I do think firms are genuinely working on this, but I, I wonder whether there needs to be aspects of the business model that aren't adjusted. And perhaps in a time like this where, yes, we're desperate for every hour to be billed, you know, pricing models, people need to get creative in order to just yes. business right now. So maybe this is a chance to look at doing things a little bit differently and the side effects of that will be improving mental health at the same time. You know, I think that the interesting th thing for me, and I practiced for a lot of years and, and, and built and ran one of the first dedicated e-discovery practices in the country, was that this mental health issue isn't separate and apart from the conversation about disruption and efficiency and delivery of services. And so, you know, I, I, the goal of all firms isn't necessarily, I always talk about, and when I was in a public company, talked about, we may have less revenue, but it's better quality revenue. And so better quality revenue is revenue that's more profitable, not necessarily based on having higher levels of physical outputs, AKA billable hours. So I'm hoping as, as firm leaders have learned that technology allows you to collaborate, technology allows you to work remotely, They'll also uh, recognize it allows you to automate, it allows you to capture knowledge, and that alternative fee arrangements can be profitable if you calibrate people in technology. And, and it, you, you know, the issues we've struggled with as a profession in embracing change, I think all of this, the mental wellness of our, of our talent, and, and frankly, isolation, okay, Yes, they're having more Zoom conferences, but they're still not physically seeing their colleagues. Right. Um, stress, stress is amplified by the fact that they're still measured in units and they, their family isn't, um, isn't able to coordinate itself off while they're creating units. Uh, I'm hopeful that you know, some of this will be a bigger catalyst for even more change, although I still see it as a long, slow road. Yeah, no, I, I'm hopeful too. And I really do feel as though there's a momentum here that is real and palpable. And in many senses, the COVID situation has made more people think about their mental health and more people, unfortunately, are feeling anxiety. And I just, I, what I do hope is that doesn't go away when COVID, it's, 
more managed and, and that people don't also overshadow that there, you know, you don't have to have a global health pandemic to be feeling depressed. depressed. Yes. I mean, yeah. these are real medical issues that, that still need to be addressed and thought of as equal to any other medical issue that somebody might, might be suffering from. Well, and I'm glad you brought that up and you used the term medical issue because um, one of the things that I think has, in my view, has been sort of lost in the dialogue is we focused on the fact that there are certain structural factors that make practicing law stressful. And we think of anxiety and depression as being stress-induced, whereas in many cases, they actually can exacerbate a biological disease. Yes. And that I think is one of the most important takeaways I hope comes out of all of this dialogue is that medication isn't necessarily a temporary thing. You may have an actual disease, just like you may have, you know, you know, rheumatoid arthritis or lupus or some other chronic disease. And that while stress management and mindfulness are great, it doesn't, it doesn't really um, change the fact that you have to get to a qualified professional. Absolutely. No, I mean, I think that's so important to remember. And that's one of the things that was really struck me in the middle of our, our year-long project is, and, and one of the things that the, the profession as, you know, the, the employer struggles with is this is a very personal issue. This is an issue that people may have come to the profession with. I am not at all suggesting that the profession causes all of these issues. And, and to suggest that does risks doing exactly what you just suggest, which is to say that these are just things that are situational. And, and that's, that's not the case. And so it's, it's, it's a personal issue that people, you know, the last thing you want to do is go talk to your employer about your medical issues. It's just not something that we typically do. For any medical require, issue. Yeah, it requires a societal approach. Your family needs to be involved in understanding. You have to have support there. You have to have support, you know, your, from yourself and, and recognizing that it's okay to address these issues. And you do, though, need support from your employer to treat them just like they would any other medical issue that, that needs to be supported and, and addressed. Now, some of the firms have been really progressive about having clinicians, either special relationships with clinicians or even clinicians on site or near site. Have you gotten any feedback about how that those programs are working? I've gotten some feedback that the staff tends to utilize them more than the lawyers. Mm -hmm. That, that doesn't surprise me. I've heard that the younger lawyers use them more than the more senior lawyers after believing, you know, making sure that it's, I think there's a, there's a, a period of time where they have to say, okay, if I go and, and knock on that door, am I going to be viewed as, as somebody who's not Is there a ring camera on that door? Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but I have heard, I mean, that there, because what does that solve when you have somebody on, on site? The time issue that every lawyer is struggling with, right? It's right there. I can use it. So I do think that that's appreciated to have somebody that is accessible, that understands issues that I'm dealing with, um, as long as firms can really overcome that, that trust factor and ensure folks that this is confidential, that we encourage you to use it. Um, there, there are some businesses out there who are pushing firms to kind of make it mandatory to see, so like a mental health checkup, like your annual physical. Um, yeah. So the firms have to make sure, I mean, the, the firm's biggest work is, is overcoming the stigma. I think, and making sure that people feel like all of these great policies that they're putting in place are safe to use. 
Did you see, or have you observed, um, we, we focus a lot on big law and the stresses of big law. There's a wide body of lawyers beneath big law who have even fewer resources to actually do their job, um, who billable hour requirements are even harder because they're not working on gigantic matters. So they're often balancing multiple matters. Have we, has, has your survey, or are you seeing any data to, 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 to sort of state the state of the um, mid law to, to, to regional law attorneys who, who, who aren't in the mass of firms and whose firms don't necessarily have the resources for programs? Because that's a group that I'm especially concerned about because they, they just are, they, they're outgunned in the, bat, in the mental illness battle. No, that's such a good point, Sari. And I have to go back to our research because I know that we broke it out by firm size. And I will say that we had a lot of large law respondents. And my, my sense was that it was kind of the, the, the smallest firms and the largest firms were where you saw the big stressors. The mid-sized firms were slightly better. But really, when you broke it out by size, there weren't huge differences in this survey, at least. But I think you're absolutely right that the resource issue and the time issue when you're a solo practitioner, I mean, it's it's nearly you know it's so difficult to to find to find the resources um, and and to invest in them or a mid-sized firm to invest in these programs for the full staff that other the large firms are doing, um, you know. And I, I I don't know honestly that I have a great answer for that other than I, there are organizations like Joe Milovec who's on our right. um, our mental health advisory board and is amazing. From Quinn Emanuel, right? Exactly, yes, and has written about his struggles and has created um, the Lawyers with Depression Project, which allows folks to come and, and openly discuss or anonymously discuss the struggles that they face. And so there are a lot of group, like peer-to-peer -peer groups like that even, where you can- Yeah, and I know Dan Lukasek in Buffalo started yes. very first. He was one of my very first guests, um, a fellow Buffalonian, oh, although cool. not as enthusiastic a Buffalo Bills fan as I am. And he, he started that- <laughs> 10 years ago, I think. 10, wow. Years ago. Yeah, um, he's been a great advocate in this space too. I absolutely agree. So what do you, what do you, what, what are your plans for the future on, 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 on this issue? And what do you see, um, what do you see happening in terms of some of the change that hopefully will come out of all of this attention? Well, I'll say that we want to, as I mentioned before, we really want to continue to cover this. I encourage people to, to keep sharing their stories. I applaud, frankly, the bravery of so many people, and so many did reach out over the last year. We couldn't even write about them all, but the number of people who were willing to talk about this, and and from all ranges of the profession, all age groups, all, all organization types, I mean, it just continue to have these conversations. We'll be checking in with the firms to see what they're doing and, and continue to follow, continue to survey the market. Um, we want to cover these issues in, in any podcasts, articles, surveys, however the story can be told. It will definitely be something that we continue to follow. And I am, I am hopeful for the future. I, I think there's just too much conversation on this. I know that Many things are slow to change in the legal profession, but I think there's a broader societal push in this space, um, coupled with the, the, the frankly, the, the, the immediate need for this profession to do something because it is at a crisis level in many respects that I do see things working to change. And I think the next generation, honestly, it's just, they're almost demanding it. I mean, it's not even a choice. They're, they're, work-life balance is is not something that they're they're willing to negotiate on and and so we'll see how that 
affect change in the coming decade or so? Yeah, and I think it's fascinating because when I first read the, when I first started looking at this issue, my sort of focus was I wanted to see what what the mental health, um, the state of the mental health of male lawyers over 50 was, because I've always felt that the, the pandemic um, mental health crisis among men has been underreported and the treatment modalities for men that are different than some of the treatment modalities for women haven't been readily available. But when I dug into the ABA Hazelton study, I was really surprised to see that it's lawyers at that 10 year or less mark that were suffering from the most acute stress. Yes. Yeah. There, you know, that's a group where talk about the pressure is on, right? And, and no matter where you are in your career, but particularly that group, perfection is the only thing that's accepted, right? You're not allowed to look weak or, or to show fallibility at all. And so at least that's the mentality. I'm not saying that that's true or should be. You know, that's when it's just the hours to build, the race to make partner. And, and I've heard from so many people over the year that, okay, it'll get better when I make partner. Okay, it'll get better when I land that first big client. Okay, it'll get better when, um, you know, a, a shareholder and, and, and can have, you know, it's, it's just always looking for the next thing to ease right. up and, and it doesn't quite manifest. Well, what happens is you make shareholder and then they give you a giant origination number. You hit your giant origination number and they say, great, now you have to bring in $2 million more dollars. And so you start it the next year and you're like, damn it, I gotta bring in $2 million more dollars. <laughs> so you do that and then you think, oh, they're gonna be happy. And then it's $2 million more dollars. So it never ends. And, and what I'm gonna be really intrigued to watch is the people becoming the, the most at-risk group from the survey data is the people 10 years or less in practice. But what I'm gonna be really um, interested in is the same thing you just referenced. The people coming behind them, who I think are frankly more articulate advocates to themselves. Um, yes. Having one, um, one late millennial and one not millennial uh, um, adult child, um, I see them having very different perspectives on, on, on how they live their life and it's just, not just because they have different personalities, but how they're capable of articulating and negotiating their employers what they want. And it's gonna be very interesting to see how the group coming underneath changes the composition of the profession and how as leaders, current law firm leaders age out or die, um, and they're replaced by the stress generation, whether or not it'll have real, real positive impact. I'm hoping it's not like medicine where everybody wants to punish the residents like they were punished. I'm hoping mm. that it's a yeah. change and that there's a more compassionate view. I think there will be. I really do. I do. But I, I just think it's so important for for anybody listening to this or just to know that, you know, you're not alone if you are struggling and it, it is okay to seek help and it is okay to talk about these issues. And frankly, if it's not okay at a certain employer to talk about these issues, you know, maybe movement of talent will wake up firms to seeing that, you know, you need to be a hospitable place in this regard in order to keep the best talent. Well, we've, you ended on a very positive, optimistic note. So I think that's a good 
it, it's a good place for us to end our podcast because it was so positive. Gina, I can't thank you enough because I know you are uh, absolutely swamped. And I know between the economic crisis and what's happening to firms and the pandemic and what's happening to the workforce and everything that's out there to report on journalistically, um, that, that you're incredibly busy. And I am so appreciative of your time this morning and oh, no. your willingness to participate. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been my true pleasure. And thank you for all you're doing to keep these issues at the forefront. Discover how Major Lindsay in Africa can help you navigate the legal landscape at www.mlaglobal.com.